This is where the DJ talks. Don't say anything. Okay. Hey, I'm Dave Thomas. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal cod cod pass. <laughs> cod piece. This amazing colossal cod piece. <laughs> All right, let me try that again. Hi. Hi, I'm Dave Thomas. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's colossal amazing podcast. Is it? Uh, it's amazing colossal podcast. One more time. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Thomas. You're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. Very perfect. Good. Yes. Fantastic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here once again with my co-host Frank Santo Padre and our engineer Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is back for a third go-round in the hot seat, and we're both thrilled and surprised that he continues to indulge us. He's a writer, comedian, occasional actor, best-selling author, New York Times columnist. Emmy-winning talk show host and one of the most recognized and admired pop culture figures of the 20th century. You've seen him in numerous movies and TV shows, including The Phil Silver Show, The Odd Couple, Annie Hall, Cheers, Beetlejuice, Kate and Alley, Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, and Children's Hospital, to name a few. Wow. He's also appeared in successful stage plays, including Into the Woods, The Rocky Horror Show, which uh, I did too. Yeah. And Hellman versus McCarthy. In a long and illustrious career, he's hosted variety specials, narrated documentaries, performed both magic and stand-up comedy, and written jokes for Jack Parr, Johnny Carson, and yes, Jerry Lewis. This guy sounds obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> As the host of his own acclaimed talk shows, he's conducted interviews with dozens of influential figures, including Woody Allen, Muhammad Ali, Orson Welles, John Lennon, Salvador Dali, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Catherine Hepburn, Jimi Hendrix, and Alfred Hitchcock. He's also interviewed people near and dear to this very podcast, including John Carradine, Elsa Lanchester, Rod Serling, and of course, his longtime friend, Groucho Marx. His wonderful book from a few years ago is called Brief Encounters, and includes delightful anecdotes about everyone from Tony Curtis to Jonathan Winters. Please welcome back to the show the podcast guest who started it all 235 episodes ago, and a man who had the guts to ask Betty Davis 
how she lost her virginity. <laughs> Our pal Dick Cavett. Mr. Cavett couldn't really be here tonight because he's a bit under the weather. But um, I, I'm, I'm his, his, his uh, housemaid, and I, I've come from the old country, and I, I'm just a jolly piece of... I'm a person. Is that your Una O'Connor? That's uh, uh, it was you and O'Connor. It's supposed to be Hermione Gingold. Hermione Gingold. But I'm a little hoarse, so uh, I couldn't get down to Hermione's. <laughs> Hermione, God, I haven't thought of her in a long. I remember the time I asked her after I'd had several people who had been in London during the Blitz, and I said to her, "Were you bombed during the war?" And she said, "I was bombed during most of the war." It's <laughs> a great line. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Dick. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 now like you, that. you, popular would demand, telling us. The one actor, one famous actor who no one imitates. No one ever has. And I asked the great Will Jordan. And it, it's uh, Basil Rathbone. Basil Rathbone. And he said, yes, that, I can't really hook onto that. Interesting. Like that. Uh, it, it, there's a resonance. You know it's Rathbone. He doesn't sound like anyone else. He isn't an Englishman, oddly enough. He's from South Africa. Um as so many of us are. And <laughs> I just, uh, oh, shall I tell you something even more interesting? Sure. This might change my life. Yes. Telling this okay. to you exclusively. Mm. My wife, my beautiful, darling wife, sent in one of those, you know, ancestor type things. For the oh, Ancestry.com. Yeah, the, and, right, the and, DNA and, test. And hers came back and... You can tell from looking at her what it would inevitably be, English, French, um, Scottish, Welsh, but nothing really exotic. And I had all of those, too, with a heavy ladling of German, because of my German relative, of course. And then she said, point it toward me, don't you see that line with all the other countries and things that goes... South Sudan, the blackest part of the globe, South Sudan. She has a percentage of, of blood, of Sudanese blood? Wow, that's interesting. And I have no rhythm at all. And <laughs> Gil, you should do yours. You should do the ancestry. I want to. You I did be mine. careful with that. You, but isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Do, do you know, some woman told me, and I don't know if this is true, they, the company could be making this shit up. Yeah. That her husband went to it, and they even were able to decipher that he uh, his chain goes back to Neanderthal. Is that sounds that like doesn't sound right? Bullshit. How would they know? How would they be able to go back? It that sounds far? Like they would have to have the bones there yeah. to scrape. It sounds like total horseshit. Now, see, the Neanderthals knocked out the, uh, ang- the uh, not the Anglo-Saxons. Um, <laughs> so, so my history is a little screwed up. Um, I remember the late dopey Elsa Maxwell. She said once she was having a feud with Walter Winchell. Young folks, ask your parents whose names uh-huh. these are. Are the the people who listen to this show just might know, Dick? Yeah, I know. Mean, now, now the Neanderthals said, were on the planet with the other type cavemen. I I I used to think it was a million years between. 
Whom, whom did the well, Neanderthals the eradicate? Tro- the, uh, they were the troglodytes. My wife well, would know. Them. Were, yeah. uh, we keep meaning to have them over. Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the Walter Winchell story? Oh, she was feuding I with Walter I want to talk Winchell. about the troglodytes. She was always feuding with Walter Winchell. Okay. Elsa Maxwell. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, I finally thought of something, Jack. I want to call him on your show. It's a name and a word that I only just discovered. He's a Neanderthal man. (laughs) (laughs) She was close. (laughs) I was standing in the back of the studio. I wanted to run down. She was close. Now, is it true in a TV movie about Walter Winchell, they said he used to drink a big glass of water before he'd do his broadcast so that would make him rush through the broadcast. Because he had to pee. Yeah, oh. yes. I'd never heard that. That's fascinating. He used a full bladder to speed himself up. Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. Because he'd that have to finish a... up the show to run and pee. Is that how you got through the intro so quickly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He> was... <laughs> <laughs> you broke your, you broke your own speed record. Were really about me in that yes. intro. I, uh, <laughs> All I, I true. Get, get this for a name drop. Walter took me to the Copacabana one night. Walter Winchell. Mm-hmm. He was in his latter years, obviously. Um, he had a thirty-eight in his cummerbund. I could just got a glimpse of, and um, a tuxedo on a weeknight to go to the Copacabana. Why was he packing? Nobody heat? in the place had a tuxedo <laughs> on. And Tony Martin uh, gurgled out some songs. Tony Martin. Between sips. Isn't Tony Martin in the big store? Huge. You work with the Marxes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Martin. And, and and his opening act for a while in Vegas was Pat Cooper. There you go. Yeah. Is that so? Is yeah. That Cooper. Yeah. And, Tony and Martin. Pat Cooper commented on, like, they would see... You know, one you know handsome guy singing and one guy doing jokes. So they thought Pat Cooper must have been the Jew, and <laughs> Tony Martin was Italian. <laughs> Pat Cooper, God, he said he made me laugh. Uh, Walter, <clears throat> all his life, professional life, had a two-way special police radio that the cops had given him because he was such a good friend of theirs. Uh, however many ways. And um, so I got into that car with him, and we followed police calls. Everywhere with police call, he'd head for it. If there was a shooting, getting stuff for his column. Win- Walter Winchell. Wow. Winchell. And one night we went, yeah, or do I mean Tony Martin? No, it could be. So he actually witnessed this stuff. Oh, yeah. He said, this, this is stuff that I've seen with my own eyes. And... Uh, uh, he, he would go down to murder sites and fires and domestic violent places and stuff. And we went not to one of those, unfortunately, but a jail, some part of town, branch of the jail. And we went inside, and there were a couple of sleepy guys in the cells. And it felt so funny to be there with a man with a thirty-eight in his cummerbund and his tux. <laughs> And we walked to talk to some people down there while I thought, this is so sad. He is utterly, totally vanished and forgotten. Walter Winchell.
Windshield. Yeah. Isn't the isn't the Burt hey. Lancaster character in in, uh, uh, yeah. in Sweet Smell of Success yeah. based on? He was a hell of a tap dancer, which Mel Brooks says about Hitler, but right. he, you know, he, <laughs> right. he really was. Great vaudevillian. And as we were leaving the jail with nothing having happened and nothing he could use, a guy says, a young guy says, hey, Pop, keep talking. Yeah, you, Pop, keep talking. Hi, oh, I know who you are. And Walter came a little bit alive. The voice over the voice on the Untouchables series, the Untouchables, Un the Untouchables, yeah, yeah. And, and and Walter came alive for a bit there. I, that's something that bothers you that people don't know who these these great stars are anymore. That people don't. I I, I saw that in an interview with you. It's concerning to you that people don't know the names Bob Hope, the names Groucho Marx. Something we Bob talk about on Hope, here a lot. For God's sake, I know. How's that possible? Um, I got set back this year, about two years ago, or maybe three. Hey, Mr. Cabot, a young adult, it looked like. Can you help me with who, uh, let's see, who are the Marx Brothers, and who was Johnny Carson? Oof, that hurts. And that hurt. It sure does. Of course, he'd been off for 25 years. But, again, the aforementioned Mr. Woody Allen, we talked about once, that Cabot. When we were young, we knew our Benchley, our Thurber, our Kaufman, our Marx Brothers, our Fields, uh, and they were way before us. Of course. Uh, well, Gilbert and, but tonight, and I yeah. anything ahead of your birth is out of fashion. Yeah, now. I don't understand that at all. Mm. I, I spoke to some guy recently who had no idea who David Letterman was. Well, Johnny Carson, David Letterman. It's scary. Don't we, mention we knew the more talk show. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, boy. So Basil Rathbone was from where again? South Africa? Yeah, yeah. That's so weird. I guess from the British colony of South Africa. He, he, I, I don't even came across that recently. Um, so Basil Rathbone's an African-American. <laughs> like me. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably why we hit it off. We had a, I won't say it. <laughs> we were talking before we turned the mics on about how it's an impossible impression to do, Basil Rathbone. But and then, Gilbert, you offered that Nigel Bruce was easy to do. Yeah, yeah. That, that's an easy, I, I heard that, that when they were doing the Sherlock Holmes radio show, Basil Rathbone, of course, played Sherlock Holmes on the radio. And sometimes Basil Rathbone would imitate Nigel Bruce. So Nigel Bruce wouldn't even have to show up. He could do his interest. Basil Rathbone would do a oh, Nigel a Bruce imitation. Let's hear your Nigel Bruce skill. <laughs> now say something to me as Holmes as much as you can. Yes. Oh, we found the fingerprints here. Oh, really, Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> Dueling That's Nigel Bruce's. Do oh, really, Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> but your, oh, but, no. You never cease to amaze me. But your Richard Liu remains the industry standard thing. That's my own. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even seen anybody try to do. Um, Richard, the one guy tried embarrassingly, um, right on a street somewhere. 
<laughs> but he was doing a Chinese... Uh, People stopping you in the street to do Richard Liu impressions. I must remind you, Catherine. And I said, that's a, that's a Chinese person. <laughs> now, don't scorn me because Richard Liu was Chinese, but, oh, I hate to do this to people, the man who does the... Uh, noir, the noir section of Turner Classic Movies is very good and obviously very smart and knowledgeable. But he knocked me in the stomach last Eddie week. Eddie Muller? I think it is. Eddie yeah. Muller. He said, uh, I think he was talking about maybe the Purple Heart or something, and that wonderful Japanese actor, Richard Liu. Now, first of all, your name couldn't be Liu if you're Japanese. <laughs> and he isn't. <laughs> I do one line as Richard Liu. Go for and it. And that's, ah, Krav Karia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm killed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't trespass on your territory. <laughs> Some, you know what it, what it was about it when I was trying to get the, the uh, tenor, the range the, of his voice? It's a little, uh, I think... Strangely enough, Catherine Hepburn first, because my voice is lower than both hers and. Uh, but so I think of Hepburn, and, and instead of going, I must remind you, Captain, that that chain is no stronger than that weak has to rank. Beautiful. <laughs> Still the best Richard Liu. <laughs> In the Purple Heart, that fades. Weak gasling, weak gasling. It's it funny because they used to get Chinese actors to be evil Japanese generals. Ironic. As hell. While their families were being raped in Nanking, uh, Uncle played a Japanese soldier in an American movie. And they would sometimes get, like, German-Jewish actors as Nazis. Lots of them. Oh, yeah, sure. Like what about this... uh, Walter Slezak with many Nazi uh, officers? And there was this actor, I think, Oscar... Carl Weiss. No, Oscar Himaiki. Oscar Hamolka? Not Hamolka, close. We know but him. But it, it was yeah. like Hamaiki or something. He was in two Twilight Zone episodes. Look that oh, up. I want to know who it is. One of them was called uh, Welcome to Death's Head. And the other one had to do with their old Frozen. And then, oh, it, Claude Akins is in it. Oh, yeah, I know the one you mean. And he, I think it was like. Hamiki. I'll look Oscar him up while Hamiki. you guys talk amongst How yourselves. Spelled? Like, uh, I don't know. There was a but, there was an Oscar Hamolka and an Oscar Hamiki. Yes. <laughs> Something yeah, wrong look with up the you. Twilight think one of them zone. would have changed it? Death's head. Twilight Zone. Because there he played a Nazi officer. Right, let's see if I can. And they said, like in man. Casablanca, they had a lot of actors there who were Jews who in in the old country, in their yeah. country, were major stars, now playing little bit parts mm -hmm. or just in Nazi uniforms. I think Oscar Karl Weiss was one of those. Oh, I got the guy you mean. Um, oh. Oscar Bereggi? Bereggi! Oh, oh, Bereggi! Oh, my Uncle Bereggi. Yeah! <laughs> do you know, oh, do you know yeah. him? Ah. You know him, Dick? No, not a bit. If, oh, <laughs> You'll if you recognize saw him, him, you'd know him in a second. I can't forget seeing Oscar Homolko on 81st Street one day. You did? Yeah, we're well, looking at an art gallery window with his beautiful wife, Joan Tetzel. Um, 
What are we bringing me, sir? You know this actor? Yes, I think so. I will tell you more distinctly when I get my glasses on. He did a lot of stuff. Oscar Bridgie, that's it. Yeah, oh, it's Schildkraut. Yeah, Schildkraut. You're behind him. Yeah. Sort of a, he's sort of a Werner Klemperer type. Yes. I saw Schildkraut on the stage. Werner Klemperer, another Jew. Klemperer. And um, I saw Schildkraut do uh, The Diary of Anna Frank. Or as you people say, Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. But in the old country, we say. You know, there, there's an episode of The Art Couple where Oscar's calling up some girl, and he goes, yeah, hello, it's Oscar. And then there's a pause, and he goes, Oscar Madison, how many Oscars you know? And then he goes, you know Oscar Homolka? <laughs> <laughs> I hope Homolka heard that. Hey, wouldn't it be wonderful if from my having seen Homolka on stage twice, I could suggest his voice for just a moment, a syllable or two. How would I do it? It was the play in which he was, they said it was Japanese. They all played Japanese. Rod Steiger with... And, uh, Rod Steiger and, uh, was playing Japanese? Yeah. And that Oscar, I'd love to show. <laughs> well, with the wig and... I don't know if he used the things for the eyes. Uh-huh. That really works, but um, let's see... What was that thing called? Anyway, Homolka was, this was Edo, Japan, way back. Um, and he was a wig maker and killed people to get their hair for wigs. Or, no, I tell a lie. He robbed graves and salvaged and harvested hair for the wigs. And somebody admonished him that it was a terrible thing to do. And I'm going to try it now. Go ahead. And he said... <laughs> what does it matter they were dead anyway <laughs> could you hear it yes nicely done <laughs> alright Gil since you brought up Casablanca and, yes. and Dick's into impressions <laughs> yes. I'm going to put you on the spot again I'm going to, I'm going to make you do Peter Lorre okay. Dick have you ever heard his Peter Lorre well, the best uh, ever you Americans pronounce it Lorre yes we Americans it is Peter Lorre Peter Lorre 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 yeah. Uh, no, is he that. Irish all of a sudden? From Glockamora. <laughs> yeah. Give it to him, Gil. You despise me, don't you? If I gave it any thought, I probably would. But all I do is provide documents to leave the country, travel visas, at a price, you got a, at a price. <laughs> <laughs> no. You can be no, sued for Rick, that. you've got to save me. Rick, you've got to help me. <laughs> that reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Spike Jones records. What? Uh, great Spike Jones record. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my Old Flame is a real song. And the, a, a nice tenor, real straight singer in Spike Jones' troupe named Frank Carlson, I think, trivia, um, sang it. And then in the middle of it, they would do another go-through of the lyrics, a new segment, and it, it was so good. It had to be Peter Lorre without Peter Lorre, without uh, Billing. I've never heard anyone say his name that way. Yeah, it's German's well. Is that the best Peter, Peter Lorre you've ever heard? 
Yeah, it's it's really good. Now it inspires me to try to do the, my old flame. <laughs> my my old flame. I I I can't even think of her name. She would always something something and something something something. <laughs> she had the something gaze and something. And then there was a wonderful punchline to that. I want. Can you cue up? Uh, can I'll the guys look. there in the control room give us a? Hang on a second. Uh, I'm twelve years old. My old flame. I can't even think of her name. But it's funny now and then. How my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame. I've met so many who had fascinating ways. A, a fascinating, fascinating gaze. gaze in their eyes. <laughs> Some who took me up to the sky. You're going to love it. But their attempts <laughs> at love were only imitations of my this is a Spike Jones version? I can't wow. even think Just wait. Of her name, <laughs> it's a big setup. But I'll never be the same until I discover what became of my old flame. <laughs> <laughs> of human heads but it's funny now and then how my thoughts go flashing back again to my old flame Carl Grayson wow my old flame my my new lovers all seem so tame they they won't even let me strangle them or I haven't met a girl for so magnificent or elegant <laughs> as my old flame. I, I've met so many who had fascinating ways, a fascinating gaze in their eye. I saw this eye, so I removed the other eye. That eye that kept winking and blinking at other men. It was me. I was. It, it was. Some who took me up to the skies. <laughs> but their attempts at love were only imitations. Amazing. That and who was the person doing the Peter the Peter Lore impression? I'm not sure. It wasn't George Rock. It's pretty I, good. I don't think it was Carl Grayson. I used to know all the Spike Jones guys. What do you think, Gil? Um, oh, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, very good. It, 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 there's some strange and wonderful stuff on the old Spike Jones records. <clears throat> I used to imitate him. Spike Jones. Yeah, and I had a thing in the basement with the horns and all sorts of When you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. 
I found something in my research that you did as a kid that I never knew about you. You made and Spike Jones, and he came to Lincoln. Yeah, and he came to Grand Island uh, to Omaha. Last time I saw him in Omaha, he was getting dressed, and I stuck my head in the dressing room door and I said, "You coming to Lincoln again, Spike?" He said, "We'll be over to see you one day." That's nice. That was nice. I, That's a good I story. I heard a story. He came, but he went. <laughs> I heard a story that one time they brought Peter Laurie in to do a voiceover. And they said, okay, you know, you start out by saying, hello, this is Peter Laurie. And he goes, hello, this is Peter Laurie. And they go, no, no, hello, this is Peter Laurie. <laughs> and, and he starts going, hello, this is Peter Laurie. He didn't pass the audition? Yeah, yeah. He did a terrible <laughs> Peter Laurie imitation. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's wonderful. He was a um, uh, morphine addict, as was Bela Lugosi. Yeah, sure. Yeah, two other people. Yeah. Well, because I heard he one time he was uh, making a movie, and I don't know the director's name, Vincent something, and he said, "Can we do that take again?" And Laurie said. No, Brother Vince, I only do crap once a day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they said, well, what about those Mr. Moto pictures you did? And he goes, that was different. I was on drugs. Perfect. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast right after these important messages. Gil and Frank went out to pee. Now they're back so they can be on their amazing colossal podcast. Podcast. Kids, time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. Dick, speaking of your childhood, you also made monster masks. Oh, I, I thought yeah. Gilbert would would spark to this. I got uh, hooked on makeup, character makeup, and I think it probably from uh, seeing what's his name, Scott, who did the Frankenstein, Jack name. Pierce, and uh, yeah. there were some big names in makeup in those days, character especially. Um, and it reminds me of it. I did a tweet recently. <laughs> I hate to admit it. How did that thing go? Oh, um, a friend of mine works for that place that makes those monster masks uh -huh. thing to scare kids at Halloween, and they they have the Frankenstein monster and and the Wolfman and uh, Dracula and Richard Nixon and uh, <laughs> all the ghouls. A, uh, yeah, and I said they they don't know this year. Oh shit! I won't be able to think of his name. He was kicked out of the Nixon administration, the alt-right man, um, you know, with the shaggy hair and... Uh, uh, let's change it to... Uh, Not the... the, the, uh, the um, 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 kicked out of the Nixon administration? I don't mean the Nixon administration. The, the current He's administration. kicked out of the White House, or the Trump White House. Oh, uh, uh, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Yeah. Right. So the last line of my tweet was... They're trying to decide what to design this year to scare the kiddies. It's a toss-up between Steve Bannon and a Catholic priest. 
Ouch. I didn't know whether to send it in or not, but I did. So goodbye forever, Mr. Cavett. Let me ask you about, there's a new Laurel and Hardy movie out, by the way. Have you seen it? What are you saying? There's a movie out with John C. Riley, the actor, and and Steve Coogan, the British comic, about the life of Laurel and Hardy. And they play Stan and I. Yes, indeed. Uh-huh. Are they good? Leonard Moulton, I think, said he saw Leonard it. Moulton liked it. And, yeah. Has it played movie theaters? It's playing in, theatrically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. God, I'd like to see that. Yeah. I so, knew Stan Laurel. I was going to just use that as a segue to that. Yeah. About meeting Stan in uh, Santa Monica. Yeah. The Santa Monica. And the... Uh, it's apartment house that sticks out a bit, right? And he had a big view window, then his modest living room, mm-hmm. and a desk. And while I was there, a phone rang, and he had to transact some business over the phone. I just ten feet away, and it was so strange. I kept going, this efficient, nicely groomed, intelligent. Well-read man is the one who did, you know, came down the chimney on top of his friend and all of them, uh, <laughs> and the other man doing the dance. Their dances are fabulous. Oh, yeah, especially the one way out west. Yeah, yeah. But he was... Uh, How did you, did you just look him up? In the phone, he was in the phone book, famously. I was a copy boy at time. At time, right? And I left there to go for Jack, go to Jack Parr because it was he paid more than my magazine mm-hmm. paid sixty dollars a week or whatever for copy. Um, and uh, I had to return. This is real happenstance or coincidence almost. I had to return an envelope from one of the writers in the folder that they're all in to. And it was under. It was for someone named Latla or L A T L E R. So, I thought right next to that is L A U, Lawrence. No, just before Lawrence, something L- Laurel Stan. And I pulled it out, and there was an article about how he was alive in, in Santa Monica, and so. And um, so I remember best was. <laughs> He was talking about Christmas. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, Babe and I never actually um, observed Christmas very much. Babe less than I did, but one day I took him a bottle of uh, wonderful uh, bourbon. And he hadn't taken me anything. It was on Christmas Day. And he gave him the bottle of bourbon, and he, of course, thanked him, and put it down under the tree... And he said it was obvious from the moment I came in that he didn't have anything for me. But Babe said, bourbon is interesting, isn't it? And he went over to his drink trolley and got a very fine bottle of bourbon. And Stan said, I think we're going to make history here. And Ollie held it out and said... I looked at it and realized it really was a fine bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) Second thoughts about giving it to him. And he said, it's just very hard to find this in Los Angeles and put it back down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It was interesting, too, that you mentioned Chaplin to him. You were peeved, if I have this right, that he wasn't mentioned. 
Boy, you're a homeworker. Yeah, and you he said you, you'd read something where he wasn't included with Chaplin, and he said rather humbly that he didn't think he deserved to be mentioned with Chaplin. Does that ring a bell? That You've got it right, yeah. yes. I'll, I'll now perform it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you put the light over me a little more? Sure. Now? Thank you. Um, get the green out of it. Uh, yeah, he uh, <clears throat> Chaplin's biography had come out. Oh, there's the biography, that right. Year, and it had the modest ego title of my autobiography <laughs> redundant right mm-hmm. so i read it and there was no mention of stan anywhere in it but there was a photo caption of the carno troop k-a-r-n-o that stan and chaplin had been in and uh, i said why the hell couldn't the little fellow find room for you and his my autobiography. And he said, well, to mention me in the same breath with Charlie's heresy, I I just can't do it. How about that? Mm -hmm. How about that modesty? Now, was a lot of the stuff that Charlie Chaplin and Stan Laurel did in movies just standard pieces from that English troupe? Uh, some might have been. I really don't know. I've never. Somebody should treat that in a in a learned essay. Um, I don't know where their earliest stuff came from, but it must have been. Uh, Hardy was never in that troupe, so. Yeah, well, uh, he was uh, American. Yeah, yeah, totally American. He said um, he had a vowel that was close to Groucho. Uh, close to Groucho's. Well, you certainly could have fooled me. Oh, that's right. Interesting. And Hardy would say, uh, that's not your bourbon. It's a little different, bourbon. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Interesting. Is it true that that Kramer asked him to be in It's a Mad, Mad World and he turned him down? Yeah, he said, uh, I don't know if I brought the subject up or not. Yeah, he said, he said I, don't, I, I don't want to appear anywhere. I don't want the kids to see what I look like. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, he could easily I, have. I heard Jerry Lewis, when he was putting together his production company, asked Stan Laurel. To be a com- uh, technic? Yes. Yeah, yeah I heard that. And uh, Johnny came into my office one day, and he said, did you hear, see where... Uh, Oh, no, I, I had had a letter from Stan, and I said, uh, Johnny, Stan uh, was been in the hospital for a few weeks. And he yeah, later came out and was fine, but uh, Jerry Lewis came and visited him in the hospital, and it gave me quite a lift, he said. No, I, I tell a lie. Can we buy this and tear it up and burn it? Johnny came and visited him in the hospital, and... And Stan wrote to me, and it gave me quite a lift. Then I said, and, you know, Jerry Lewis has gone and visited him in the hospital, too. And Johnny said, yeah, that must be a great lift for somebody who's not feeling well, having that <laughs> asshole come visit me. <laughs> and I laughed. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. One of your columns in the Times about Jerry, and you ac- you actually liked him. I mean, in spite of his his oh, yeah, was, his worst characteristics. Yeah, there was a lot likable about him. And yeah. he, I'm sorry, and he was very good to uh, for me anyway to yeah. work with. Um, 
the first time I ever saw him in my life, where else would you see somebody? Yeah. Um, but uh, he came up to the Tonight offices to host for a week mm-hmm. in that interim where they used all everybody in show Between business. Parr and Carson? Yeah. The, yeah. Mort Saul, Groucho, Peggy Lee. I don't know who all did it. Um, the worst was Art Linkletter. Yes, I read that column, I too. that doesn't sound <laughs> negative at all. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an example. The great David Lloyd, for the listeners, uh, the same David Lloyd I was in college with, and um, he was Jack Parr's, actually, next-door neighbor in Bronxville. And he wanted to write, and he was a brilliant writer, and he wrote for Jack, and then he wrote for me, or he and I then wrote mm-hmm, for Jack. Mm-hmm. And he was... Uh, the late, great David Lloyd of great, Chuckles Bites the Dust fame. Yeah, and uh, con- Richard Corliss in time always called him the great David Lloyd. Yeah. And he went to Hollywood thinking, I got all these kids and I need money and it's a risk. And he only managed to write Mary Tyler Moore and Cheers and mm-hmm. Taxi. Oh, yeah. And two a, or three others. A legend. The famous Chuckles Bites the Dust episode. Yeah. The clown. Um David and I had been warned about someone on the Tonight Show staff. And uh, it was um, it was Woody who gave me my warning. He said, Cavett, you're going to meet tomorrow on your first day of work the worst person in the world. I said, Bob and Ray actually had a character at one point called the worst person. The worst person <laughs> in the world. The worst person in the world is out in his yard right now. He's moved in their neighborhood. Um, <clears throat> this was Jack's uh, head writer. And you know, many stars and artists, great artists, have one unexplainable friend that everyone hates. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes and several. How, how can he deal with it? He doesn't deserve it. You know? I don't know if Arthur Rubenstein does, but you know, a lot of co- comics do. And managers that drive their career as far down on the ground as they can, as with Jonathan Winters. Um, but uh, this guy was a knifer, a gossip, a thwarter of other people's successes. I don't want to use his name, but his initials were Paul Keyes. Oh, uh, Paul Key of Laughing. Yeah, Paul Keyes. Mm-hmm. David got enough of him one day and said, Paul, your parents owe the world a retraction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he got it. He gave a strained laugh. Now, now what did uh, Jonathan Winter's manager do? Oh, I don't know. I just don't. Yeah. I, I have no business saying that, really, because yeah. I didn't know them. But uh, people say, you know, his manager took him into the ground. I mean, it was stupid ideas and stuff. Oh, let me tell you about Paul one thing. He came out of the men's room on the seventh floor of NBC one day at 30 Rock, <laughs> as, just as David and I came walking past. And Paul waved and went off. And David said, what do you suppose... Paul does in the bathroom, in the men's room. What do you suppose he does in there? And I said, that's where he puts his best stuff on paper. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you never let me forget that. I hate you, Kevin. I wish I'd said. 
<laughs> but it just it came, you know. It, so he was that one guy. You love Jack, but he was that one friend that you couldn't. He was. You the, just couldn't understand the relationship. The scab on the back of. Now, did you ever see? You must have seen Jerry Lewis's horrible side. I, in fact, I didn't ever see him doing anything nasty to anybody myself. Uh, but um, if you're looking for horrible sides, yes. his would be right up there among them. Uh, that, that awful interview he did where he wouldn't answer the guy and just oh, oh, okay, yeah, and a while back, somebody wrote an article about how he went to entertain. Took the invitation at an old folks' home, and he said he came out and he was funny for a few minutes, and then he began to insult them, and then he did really dirty material, and some of them became sort of ill and left. He was a son of a bitch, uh, and certainly, Woody wrote him a letter once, way back, having seen I've forgotten what. And just said, I just want to tell you what a great, great artist you really are. And at times he is, boy. Yeah. That interview with you that you did is on. <laughs> <laughs> Dick just mouthed a certain word. Side. Yeah, that interview you did with him, sort of, uh, uh, which is on YouTube, on the Cavett Show. You know, Bring... I've got to watch that. I've heard more people mention that. <laughs> it brings out the best in him, no, I, I must he say. well-behaved. <gasps> yeah. And I probably did something that night and didn't get to see it, and I never have seen it. Well, you it. should watch it. I, you're the. I will take your word that I must. I'll say tw- <laughs> I'll say it twice. Also, you brought up the best in hope in that interview. Once you got once he got past the shtick and the oh, gags, you I, actually got I, a real I love interview you for saying that because I I mentioned to somebody maybe I think it was maybe Woody. I said, you know. If you could get Hope to talk, mm-hmm. you did. just come on and do gags, plug his, spe- plug his special with eight jokes that he uses on everybody's show. I think there is a person there, but you never see it. Yeah, you, you managed to get to it. He swapped gags, and I just made it my business. And it upset him for a moment. I, I, I don't know, it's some normal thing like, oh, I said, how would you get that scar? It doesn't really show much, but... Sitting here, I can see it on your upper lip. Mm-hmm. But and, and, and he said, oh, yeah. Um, and you thought, if this is going to be a gag, a fan did it. You know. He said, well, I was protecting my dog. Some kids were throwing rocks at my dog. And I took out after them and got this scar. And uh, Would you rather have a gag on that? And I uh, said, no. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It humanized many him. people have said they thought the only time it made them think he was a person. Yeah. I'm going to send yeah. both of those to you, Gilbert. Yeah. Dick's interviews with Lewis, Jerry Lewis, and Bob Hope are on YouTube. And you've never seen either one Jeez. of them more likable. Damn, I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> I also watched the Orson Welles interview, Dick, which was absolutely fascinating. And he yes. was so, and he was in such good spirits and self deprecating. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he made a joke about his weight. Yes. And, uh, uh, another person that I think you brought the best out of. We overpaid him. How so? He, he always broke, and it would be under the protection of some Italian countess or something, live in their castle for a while and then move to his next place. Um, and we just paid him way over scale. In fact, I doubt that the statute of limitations has run out on it. I remember my producing. They don't let anybody know about this. God, but he 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 needed it to buy a dozen hot dogs with. 
he was in good spirits on that show. He got a big ovation. Yeah, yeah. He, he just he seems happy to be there. So was he totally self-destructive, Wells? I don't know. Well, certainly weight alone, yeah, I guess. But um, he, he would louse things up in his life that should have gone better for him and all. But he's way too complicated to for amateur analysis, I think. God, what a guy. Which... Uh... Which interview, and I've heard you, you say the Harrison interview was one that kind of plagued you a little bit, the George Harrison interview, although it started rough and got better. I might have, yeah, that's what I've said, and I think so many people have said, did anyone tell you you were out of your mind to try to do 90 minutes with George Harrison? As I recall it, he got better after he did. being out of it. He did. And, uh, and he showed a sense of like, humor because you said at one point, you know, John and Yoko were in that very chair. And he, I said, got up, he got I the said, hell out of the chair. I, I said Yoko was in the chair. Oh, Yoko. If, if it was John, he wouldn't have right. jumped up Yoko. and brushed himself. Right. Off. He jumped out of the I, chair. I remember when George Harrison was on there as kind of a jab to John Lennon, who was like plugging a lot of stuff when he was on the show, telling every mm-hmm. album he had out and everything. And George Harrison, out of nowhere, goes, oh, John forgot to plug this when he was on the show last. That's the one. Yes. He plugged yeah, the Christmas yeah. song. Yeah. War is over. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it got better. He warmed up to you. My favorite moment for John <clears throat> puzzles viewers. As I recall, it's about 20 minutes into the show. And he suddenly said, Dick. What's your definition of love? And it baffled people. That was one of David Frost's standards. I see. Every every show he asked people that. And John despised Frost as much as I and the Beyond the Fringe people did. Mm. They hated his guts. Peter Cook put out a copy of his magazine, Private Eye, and there was a cover of, uh, of Frosty, walking sort of toward the camera at an angle and he had an envelope or something and it's as if he's hiding his crotch with it or holding it to his crotch or holding his crotch with an envelope and the caption was David Frost holding one of the few pieces of material thought to be his own wow Uh, (laughs) cold he stole stuff from every the guts to steal from the fringe guys. Did he steal from those guys? Oh, wow. All the time. Wow. All the time. Wow. Yeah. Now, what did you th- Everyone always talked about John Lennon being like, you know, this great mind and a great thinker. And what do you think? He was a very intelligent guy, probably high IQ. And um, it pains me to say that I had two long letters from him, which I, to put it more hopefully, haven't seen in years. But they were absolutely um, brilliantly punned mm. and constructed. He was witty. Word games. And James Joycean. Mm. And he was a worshiper of Joyce, of course. And if he was a fan of the that, that British comedy. He was a fan of the goons. And that's why they chose oh, yeah. Lester in the first place, to yeah. make Hard Day's Night. Yeah. And who's um, the comic that, Oh, shit. Everybody knew him in Lincoln. Nobody does here. Spike Milligan? Spike Milligan, yeah. thank you. He yeah. came on a show of mine in London, and uh, there were Chelsea pensioners in the audience, 20 old men, veterans, 
from the Chelsea home for veterans. And Milligan got in among them and made them laugh Funny hysterically. Man. Funny man. You worried about them. They were so <laughs> pleased with Milligan. On the, on the Lennon subject, I just want to direct uh, the, our listeners to your book from 2014, Brief Encounters, Conversations, Magic Moments, and Assorted Hijinks. There's a sad John Lennon column that you wrote in here for the, for the Times. Is that you, in that one? It's yeah. in this book, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, you, you refer to the time that he was on the show with you, and he made a, a quip about growing older. And looking back on himself, oh yeah, one day, yeah, yeah. on the uh, on the Dick on the Dick Cavett show, yeah, and it's it's Jesus. I think I may I may have thought of that when I heard that he was dead, but mm-hmm. I remember our talking about it. And um, how long ago is that? When he was killed? Yeah, nineteen eighty. Jesus. Yeah, nineteen eighty. Yeah. Every time I go by the Dakota, Me too. I think maybe someday I won't think it. You know, like, don't think of the word L when you walk into the cave or whatever the thing is. And always there are some foreign friends from abroad who come up to me and say, Can you tell us where it is Strawberry Field? <laughs> and, uh, uh, I like that impression. I, I remember. I and was they on... were Chinese. Ah, <laughs> very good. Books. I was on Saturday Night Live in that horrible season. Uh, when John Lennon was shot. Yeah. And they used to have these really uncomfortable uh, parties after the show. That would they go to a restaurant. They, they were, still do them. Yeah. yeah tradition. And, well, it was mostly pot parties. And and after, after this one, it was like two days after John Lennon got shot. It was at a restaurant right across the street from the Dakota. Bad timing. Yeah. Bad choice. He was killed on a Monday because I remember very vividly Howard Cosell, Howard Cosell interrupting Monday Night Football Yeah, to make the announcement, December 8th. That's uh, not where I heard about it, but I can't remember where I did hear about it, but I can remember the feeling. Um, Jesus Christ. What happened to those letters? Did you just misplace them? God, he knows, not I. You have any? Did you? It's Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, somebody told me Oliver Hardy was married to some Jewish woman at one point. I, I only know of one Hardy wife, but that there may have been other, and that may be the one. And they split up, and, and he said, according to this quote, she cast a Jewish hex on me. He said that? Yeah. That's Oliver fascinating. Hardy. And what was the result of that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I remember a thousand years ago following you around in a hotel. We had just done some yeah, show what was together. That? I remember that, too. I don't remember what show we did. To, it may have been your show, for all I know. But it might have been. I, I was following you around just imitating the old Groucho. Uh-huh. And and my brother, yeah, yeah. we were working <laughs> at Belasco uh, Theater, <laughs> and Nunnally Johnson <laughs> came in, and Nunnally Johnson used to like to smoke cigarettes, and and you know, because that was a very popular 
thing. A lot of people smoke cigarettes back then, <laughs> and they would light them Wait a back then with, <laughs> with a match. They would have a match, and they'd, they'd run it against the shafish, and, and a flame would come up from the match, and that's how they'd light their cigarettes. <laughs> Your your uh, antique Groucho should be in the Smithsonian. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the Nunnally Johnson reference that puts it over the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God. And then I remember you. After a while, you couldn't take anymore, and you were um, running away from me. I and I oxygen. followed you in the elevator. I had that thing where you let out all the air in you, and you still can't take it in. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then when you finally got to your room. I got on a whole phone, and you said hello. <laughs> and I said, you, had you know, uh, Peter Benchley. I probably thought it was possibly. Was he alive then? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, you could Robert Benchley. Oh, could, Ro- Robert. Yeah. 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 I, I don't yeah. think he was palling around when they were writing. Jaws. <laughs> Robert, yeah. Robert Benchley. Mm-hmm. Used to wear a green jacket, <laughs> and this was a jacket that had a green color on it. So it was a green jacket because it was both a jacket and it was green. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> what 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 would Groucho have thought have of? Have you no mercy? <laughs> what, what would Groucho have thought of Gilbert's impression, Dick? Would he have appreciated uh, it? Well, I, I think he probably would enjoy. He loved. Talent. Uh-huh. He. Um, I remember once the very first time, and maybe only time, that I mentioned Jonathan Winters to him, and like some idiot, I thought, I wonder if he knows who he is. And of course, and he just said, "There's a giant talent." How about that? I I watched the episode of the Cavett Show where he proposed to Truman Capote. Yes, wasn't that? The- <laughs> Gold. And and the, the best Gold. part of that was he had on the fabulous golf hat that he wore oh, yeah. on my first great full evening Groucho show. Uh, and he had it on again that night. It had um, knitted little yeah. snowman or something on it. And they were holding little miniature oh, yeah. golf clubs. <laughs> you and remember the hats? Yeah, the skill. beret. Yeah, with the- and they'd have clown faces yeah. on golf well, balls. This, this one had three knitted golf balls and two golfers. And um, <laughs> he loved that hat. Anyway, on the same show, he reminded Truman that a nuptial was possible if he wanted it. It was great. Or as everybody says, nuptial. And... Um, he repeated the offer, <laughs> and Truman said, Groucho, I could never marry a man that has three balls. <laughs> <laughs> On his hat were the last three words, but I don't think anybody heard them because three balls That's it. got the last 1969. I don't know if if you're able to do it on the spot, if you could honor me in this way. <laughs> I try. Can, can you take the name Gilbert Gottfried and twist it into something? Oh, he's an ana- you're an anagram expert. Yeah, I usually can't um, when I'm assigned one. Oh. They come uh, unbidden. Um, sometimes I, I can. 
Um, you can take anyone's first and last name and, and turn it into a... Well, it, it, it happens when I'm a little tired. I see. It started with the game Perquacky, where you th- dump out lettered cubes and make bath, bathe, mm-hmm. star, rats, arts, penguins. Uh, um, and that started it, and it's got so I couldn't go anywhere without seeing anagrams or rearrangements. And I was with Marshall Brickman, and I, he... He said, are you sure you get... And I said, no, wait a minute. Looking out of the train at night from... Oh, Mr. Donut. And Donut was burned out. And neon red, Mr. He said, do Mr. And I was in the vein. And I said, Mr. Remits. Merits. Timers. Miters. Mm-hmm. And two more. That's impressive. The nicest, classiest one was the East Hampton uh, Marquee, East Hampton Movie Theater, mm-hmm. with the letters you stick up. And I don't know, some kid probably put up and he thought, I, I got to have one name from the movie. So the Marquee read Lawrence of Arabia, starring Alec Guinness. And I thought, I just had O'Toole on the show, and I thought, I'll take a picture so that O'Toole will see, finally, who the star of Florence is. <laughs> <laughs> I never did it, but I told him about it. But then I, I saw Alec Guinness. A lot of the letters for genu- genuine is there. Genuine laces. No, genuine class. Genuine class. That's Alec That's Guinness. great. How did you know he could do that, Gilbert? Uh, How did I, you know that Dick I, had... I know he always used to yeah. do that. He would twist names up. My name, by the way... It's a curious, uh, odd burden. My, my, my name unscrambles as Dan Fake, porn star. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> little bit of... Who, little bit of fun. Who who got that jam? <laughs> we just now, found that now, one day. Most, most importantly, yeah. you know... Fuck the big movie stars and authors yeah. you've known. You had a chance to fuck Melanie Griffith. Do what? You, <laughs> I, I heard you had a chance to fuck Melanie Where Griffith. Where did you get this stuff? Yes, I think you even said this. Melanie? You were at a party. Yeah. And Melanie Griffith was coming on to you. Or Andy Griffith. <laughs> That was we'll later. Take, we'll take either one. Yeah, we we switched that night. <laughs> At the risk of your image of me going all to hell, who is Melanie Gorfus? No, Melanie Griffith, Tippi Hedren's daughter, the actress. Oh, oh, Melanie Griffith. I, yes, sir. Yeah, this is also like earmuffs. Uh huh. Um, my regret with a pyramid. With, with, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. Wait a minute. Pyramid is an anagram for army dip. Very good. Oh, excellent. Very good. That's the way it happens. Um, Oh, God. I got tired of being asked who was the worst guest you ever had, and certainly who was the best. And I decided to give Spiro Agnew the honor. Um, for a press thing. What does this have to do with Melanie Griffith? <laughs> He's changing the subject. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd love to know. But, well, here's what they did to me. They, what they did to me was they booked Spiro Agnew on the show. Um, and they said he'll, uh, you know, he seems kind of dry, but they said he's got some 
ideas of amusement. And apparently he asked for a, or someone with him asked for a blackboard or a whiteboard or something, and they stuck up on it caricatures of Spiro Agnew, which were current at the time. He was new. And they said, he'll have interesting and amusing things to say about them. <laughs> Some bell warned me. So they wheel out the blackboard or whatever, and they have eight caricatures, her block, and uh-huh. I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know who all did. David Levine, maybe? Levine, yeah. probably. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think even Hirschfeld had mm-hmm. one. So we got to the first one, and I said, uh, here's the first one. <laughs> uh, and they focused on it. He said, yeah. I thought, I always like to bail people out when they've blanked. And I said, uh, and then this next one is is rather amusing. Um, uh, and he said, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I reached for my gun. <laughs> we got to the third one. And it was just hopeless, hopeless. <laughs> he would try... To be oh I remember I said maybe this will work uh, I noticed that her block um, does your eyes as just a slit like that which is pretty much what his eyes were and he said yes that's uh, that's the way he does it so he was a riveting guest Spiro Agnew uh, yeah my regret is that less than a minute after the limo drove him away. I thought, grow a penis. Oh, grow oh, a penis. Oh, Agnew. Wow. Are we still broadcasting? Yes. <laughs> and Gore Vidal said, well, it could also be grow a spine, but yours is better. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would think among the worst Cavett shows, you would consider the Gazzara Cassavetes debacle. Just, I was just going to mention that one. That. Oh, shit. Oh, Peter, what was wrong with that? that Peter Falk? They were all like, oh, God, they were He's putting you bombed on. out of their skull. That's immortalized on uh, oh, somewhere on YouTube uh, and, and somewhere else. And in the one place it's listed as... Dick Cavett's worst show ever. <laughs> Was it? No, I had much worse than that. <laughs> um, but there it is. Yeah. And all I can remember is after they had, um, Cassavetes came on and then did a full body fall to the stage and uh, somebody took one of their guy's shoes off and smelled his feet and real satire. And, and the audience I, began roaring with laughter. Then they began to pull back, going, Ugh. I saw one woman's face going, and she felt sorry for me. I said, well, this is why I never joined a fraternity. <laughs> right. And that got a hand. I didn't think it would. Those guys, they were such All lots. three of them were bombed? Falk, too? They, yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know who was drunk-est. Yeah. But it was, and afterwards, I went backstage, and their director was there, and he had them like three kids being reamed out for their behavior. But you, uh, you weren't. Said, you lo- sold about two thousand unbought tickets to every theater where this thing plays. I mean, you, you have just probably ruined any chances. And they were like this. Oh God. Like little schoolboys, school but you weren't—you weren't live. You had the option to not run it. 
to not to not air that episode. Oh, I wouldn't not not run it. Okay, <laughs> they deserved and, it. Okay. They they were falling on top of each other too. Yeah, like yeah, one would hit the sure. ground, the other would fall on top it's, of him. You and, can find it online. I don't remember out who, there. who removed whose shoe and smelled his feet, but. Uh, Oh, I also said, which amused me, but hardly anybody else. I just realized these same chairs one week ago today were occupied by Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontan, and Noel Coward. Nice. And it, a, a few people nice. knew who they what were. What was so terrible is, like, I respected all three of those actors. Yeah, me too. They're all yeah. good actors. And But... To watch them like that, it was like, oh, my God, no, don't do this. Or if you have a relative you very much like and one night he gets shit-faced drunk and you're so embarrassed for him. Um, But the director, the movie, I think, was Husbands. Sounds right. Yes. Yes, Yes. that sounds right. Yeah. 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 I I saw Falk and um, and Cassavetes both in later days and they were so... Sorry. Oh, they apologized. Oh, oh well, God. that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And what that's... else did the director say to them? I'd love to hear. Oh, he was just saying, you, if anybody had half a desire to see this movie, you killed it. Um, and that sort of thing. I never saw anybody more expertly unsell tickets than you just did. Your show was event viewing for those reasons. I mean, Lily Tomlin storming off. The, yeah, the, the, and you know, the, the funny thing is, I didn't know Lily stormed off. Right. I was watching that one. Yeah. yeah I, I, as a kid. I, she left out of my vision, and that was with Chad, Chad Everett. The immortal From Chad Medical Everett. Center. He insulted her. And that other guy, what's his name, W.H. Auden? That's right. W.H. Auden. Those Did are some he strange say something like, my wife is my favorite animal? Or yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's yes. my favorite animal. Yes. And she, uh, she before bolted. that, he had said to, uh, uh, referring to Whiston Hugh Auden, um, <laughs> uh, you don't understand we poets, he said at one point. And, um, oh, the, the classic, which broke up many distinguished people, <laughs> was turning to this great poet and said, do you work from life or what? Well, that's some eclectic booking, Chad Everett and W.H. Auden. I know. I don't know who did that. <laughs> oh, Auden, Auden refused to ever appear on television again, which is a shame. And one of your classic moments is a health expert who died on your show. Rodale. you got to be kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would just say the gods, having their usual sense of humor, picked of all the types of people and professions and arts could drop dead by the farm, <laughs> um, purchase the acreage, uh, it would be a health expert. You have to be thankful for things like that because it makes the Cabot show so immortal. People are still and, talking about it. And how that. did you yeah. realize he was dead? Uh, I think the minute I looked at him the very first moment and fought it, fought it. I mean, I thought, no, this partly because he had been very funny in a, the half hour that was his half hour previously. And I had, pardon this, made a mental note to have him back. <laughs> if not a physical note. <laughs> and he was funny in his segment. Mm-hmm. And he offered me some um, asparagus boiled in urine. <laughs> and, uh, 
That's what did it. I had the good taste to say who's. And <laughs> part of the audience found that amusing. But boy, he... Um, The sound, I'll never forget. It is, I've heard the death rattle in my life. <laughs> this was not... Uh, I think it was mostly a nasal uh, snorting. Wow. Yeah, oh, jeez. This guy's dead. Dead, was he livelier than Agnew? Still? <laughs> funnier. <laughs> funnier. <laughs> Certainly now, funnier. Now, did you... You must have known Zeppo somewhat. I never met Zeppo, but no? we spoke for an hour on the phone. Wow. Month, and he was going to come on the show, and somebody said, Get Zeppo. He is hilarious. And uh, all you could think of is what a stiff he was in the movies. <laughs> and, uh, but I've told he was really funny. In fact, he That's said, I say. I've got Marx Brothers stories that nobody has. And it'd be interesting to know if this was before or after Orson, but. Um, he said, I need $5,000. I said, well, you know, a law, we paid, maybe it was three forty then. $340. Bucks, mm -hmm. And he wanted five grand. When Jack did the show, it was three twenty. The whole country knew that Tonight Show paid three twenty. Everybody joked about it. In fact, Peter Laura, yeah. Peter Laura, Jack said something to him, and he said, Jack... I don't have to hear things like that at these prices. Jack did a dirty trick one night, and I thought um, he was nasty in various ways, and certainly the most interesting, fascinating, neurotic, weird, and having the one quality that made him so unforgettable, danger. Mm-hmm. Olivier has it in acting. Something might got to happen. And Jack said, stop me if I told you this on the first show. Um, Jackie Leonard was on. To those who don't know Jackie Leonard, he was very, um, a rather obese comedian, and he was called affectionately Fat, Fat Jack. Fat Jack. Yeah. And uh, he had a kind of a gruff delivery on my diet, I lost more than you are. Uh, you know, I can't remember any of the others. But he had a million of them. But the way he worked was you came on and he'd throw a line. Why don't you put your glasses on backwards and walk into yourself? And um, you would have to say something. And then that gave him the next line and the next line from his repertoire. Backstage, just before airtime, <laughs> Jack said, kid, when Fat Jack comes out, I'm not going to do anything. I'll introduce him, of course, but you know how he works. And then you say something, and he works off that. And then you say something, and he works off that. I'm not going to answer him once. <laughs> so Jack, poor Fat Jack, a lovely man, and came on and said, one of those times, and you could write it down and laugh. And then he kind of seemed to sense something was up. But he couldn't quite say, you're supposed to talk back. And he got kind of desperate. And you felt sorry for him. Wow. Well. Jack just sat there would go, thinking, indeed, but not even saying that at the end of a line. And I hoped he would stop it. And then came 
I think what he did at, at, when he got desperate and was actually perspiring was grab a fact out of life, something just to have something to say about something, even know what to do. And he said, Jack, you know, my wife is an acrobat. And Jack said she'd have to be. <laughs> oh, God. And they couldn't go on. I, mean, <laughs> I, told Jack, I told Jack that a couple years later. He had no memory of that. Cliff Arquette came on drunk one night as Santa Claus. And Jack said, I, first time I ever saw Santa in the bag, uh, which is rather nice. Very good. Great line. He had some good ones. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Speaking of Zeppo, we had Ron Delsner on the show a couple of months ago who produced Groucho at Carnegie. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I've forgotten that. Yeah. And you were the uh, the, um, the MC, the uh, the o- the opening. Uh, I just did the opening, yeah. Yeah. I, I was, was there. Fun. I actually Gil- attended Gilbert that. Gilbert was there. Yeah. As was Sandy Helberg, who was sitting in the next booth, was you, there. Were you sitting near... He was uh, there, too. Woody and Diane Keaton? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, they, they were Actually, they were on the aisle about four rows back, and I no. kept... You know, it, it isn't always good to know someone's there that you know, because you tend to go back to them. But... Um, and somebody said to me lately, you know, you do a banquet and you do something and you do a dinner somewhere and this thing at a school. And invariably, one aspect of the field fucks up. Audiovisual. Oh, they the ran the wrong work. clip. Yeah. Yeah. There's a howl they can't get out of it. The film comes on upside down and tears. Uh, just Chris Porterfield said, I've got a collection of 10 audiovisual fuck ups. And I told that to an audience one night, and they seemed to understand what I was talking about. And then all the mics went out. I said, well, I didn't do it. But in the book is uh, one of the, is your Times column about that night and how concerned you were when you got to the when you got to Carnegie Hall. I nearly shat. Um, I came out. Uh, obviously, I came in from outside, and outside there were nice kids who had gone to great pains to make up as Harpo. And make up as Harpo. Should I start all over? No, no, just be closer to the mic. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll get hell from my engineer. Nice to have me back. Yeah, keep pulling me forward, as the actress said to the bishop. Um, okay. uh, you showed up, everybody was dressed as Harpo outside? And there were kids dressed as Harpo and kids dressed as... Uh, nobody as Gummo, of course. No. Uh, <laughs> Gilbert was dressed as Gummo. Yes. There were quite a few Grouchos and, 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 even, and some Chicos. Uh-huh. And some of them didn't even get in. It was so oversold, mm-hmm. uh, sold out. And they seemed content to just be outside the building where their hero was. You know, they just they waited around through the whole show, not hearing any of it. They got to see Groucho come out and get in the car, and they applauded and yelled and stuff. But when I got there, he looked like a dead man, and I didn't know what to do. It was echoes of the Blue Angel. Something awful is going to happen on that stage. And I asked, uh, I said, would you like to cut the musical number that you and Aaron do? This sent Aaron off like a rocket. I'll bet. 
no, that is not going to be cut. Um, it was her moment. But I didn't, I, I didn't think he was going to get be able to take the steps to the mic, let alone the stage. But they, nothing mattered. They just were so happy that he was there. Did I say, um, by the way, they were supposed to pay me for that. I didn't even know that. And they never had. You never got paid? Huh. Never got paid. <laughs> now, we're breaking what, news. What can you tell us about Aaron Fleming? Very little in case there are adults listening. Ooh. Children, okay. <laughs> no, but seriously, folks, uh, Aaron was a highly ambitious, not unintelligent, pretty as she looked like Vivian Lee at that time. Um, she, I was about to do a vulgar joke. She looked like Vivian Lee, and she, she was a Canadian. And she met Groucho at a time in his life when he needed somebody. And he would walk his dog in his neighborhood hoping someone would invite him in to dinner. He was so lonely. Um, think of how many people would have volunteered. Of course, had they known it was Groucho Marx. Right. Yeah. One day, uh, the, the tour bus those infernal tour buses that plagued the stars, stopped in front of Groucho's house. And there was a man doing the roses out front, fertilized the roses, something like that. And the jackass tour bus guy said, I'm going to go out and talk to that man. Uh, we're not going to see Groucho, but we can see someone who works for him. And uh, he took his mic out and... The guy's down like this with a hat down. And he says, uh, tell me, sir, um, is your boss, Groucho, a, a, a nice man? And the man under the hat said, he certainly is. He lets me sleep with his wife. And the tour people, <laughs> the, the, the Christian wow. church ladies on the bus. <laughs> it was all broadcast, you know, into the bus. <laughs> I just love that. Now, but Aaron uh, was good and bad, like so many of us. She uh, got to him at a time in his life when he was fading fast. Even those who hate her guts, uh, and then are not far to seek, um, said she did. She did do one thing. She got. She got him to do the Carnegie Hall. Right. So, so he was. He was in bed all day. He was depressed, and um, Aaron was a mixed blessing for sure. And remember how fulsomely he thanked her on the Oscars? Sure, the, sure. Yeah. You were going to, at one point you said in the article, you, you considered spiriting him or snatching him away and, and, and sneaking him out a side door. Yeah. And I putting him to, taking him to his sa- hotel and putting him to bed. Him from the horror of it. And when he stepped through those curtains, it nearly tore the house apart. You introduced him, and you said, "I want to mention some other people in the uh, who need to be mentioned." Otis B. Driftwood. Oh, Rufus Firefly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there were Quincy Adams about Wagstaff. About five of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor Hackenbush. Yeah, that must have tore and the they crowd up. Of one. course. What else would they do? You remember any of this, skill? Yeah. Oh yeah, and and I remember too. Around that time afterwards, he kind of got in trouble because maybe he was slipping a little and w- wasn't watching what he was saying. Yeah, a couple and, times. 
and he was saying like, you know, I did great at Carnegie Hall. He goes, George Burns did it. He didn't get like a quarter of the people that I got. And he was insulting these people that yeah, it was, were uh, lifelong friends of his. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, I heard like a lot of people got pissed off at him. His first it. move on that stage was just stomp on a violin and say, uh, yes. I've had enough of Jack Benny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he throws down the violin. He goes, I've had enough of Jack Benny, and so has this violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he, um, James A.G., in his book on film, mm-hmm. probably 40, 50 years ago. I have it. Yeah, you got to have it. It's a good one. And he talks about Groucho in there and says, um, I sometimes worry that a lot of people miss Groucho's weirdest curves. And I thought about it. I, I know what he means. Um, some of them are in the movies, of course, and many of them are on the what he always called the game show, the the quiz show on the quiz show. But I got one that I saved for humanity. I was driving Groucho and Harry Ruby oh. in ah. the back seat. Harry Ruby, we wanted, and my wife was in the seat, and I could just hear them. And I kept thinking, oh, God, I have to drive. And if I could switch on something that would... I just one gem after another passed in the night and out of recollection. But there was one that really got to me. We stopped at a light on sunset. 10 o'clock at night. I'm taking them both home for their dinner. And... Stopped for a light on sunset, sitting there quietly, and Harry Ruby, uh, and Groucho says, that building over there on the corner, that's where your son lives. And Harry Ruby said, no, it isn't Groucho. He said, yeah, that building, that's that's your son's apartment building. He said, "It, it isn't Groucho, my son lives on the way over beyond Wilshire. Shaking his head, he said, your son doesn't live in that building? No, Groucho. Well, that's funny. I I ran into him last week, and he, he never mentioned not living there. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <Now> that, <laughs> you're not going to get that yeah. from Mary Manny comedian. <laughs> did, did he did he know Dick? I mean, the Carnegie Hall, obviously. I mean, that must have you know encouraged him greatly. But I mean, did he did he understand fully understand the impact? I'm not sure. Of the Marx Brothers um, and, and their value, their lasting value? I hope so. You know, it, it, it's hard to say. He did a commercial, he did a Tonight Show monologue one night when it was, it was his week in the off-summer mm-hmm. thing. And it was such a thrill to write for him. And I got, uh, I got so I would do things that weren't jokes. That, they were fun to write, and you couldn't do them for anybody else in the business. And one of them was, after a joke, but enough of this bridled hilarity. He loved that, and he <laughs> killed with it. <laughs> he loved words and wordplay yeah, so yeah. much. Uh, and is it I mean, true? I heard George S. Kaufman said 
the only person he would allow to ad-lib in one of his scripts was Groucho. That's true, and he told that on the sh- on the show one night, and uh, he got a little teary as he said it. Um, yeah. I loved what you said in Marx Brothers in a nutshell in a documentary. You remember what you said toward the end of the documentary? No. You said you felt sorry for him because everybody else got to have a Groucho Marx, and he was oh, yeah. he was the only person that didn't get to have one. That's not bad. Pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty good. Can I, did I do it right? You did it right. Yeah. What's what's uh, what's the expert? Uh, I'm never asking your favorite Dick Cavett guest, but Gilbert and I will ask you what's the best Marx Brothers movie. Oh, that I don't know. You know, uh, I, I I saw Groucho first on the game quiz show, uh, mm-hmm. You Bet Your Life, mm-hmm. and then I saw the movies. And they didn't always weren't always distributed in Nebraska, but I saw three at least: Night at the Opera, Duck Soup, and uh, something else. My dad was in college in in the Grand Island Baptist College. <laughs> so were most of our friends. And he said when the Marx Brothers first came to town, nobody was prepared for it. Nobody had ever seen or heard anything like it. Of course, it was Animal Cracker. I know it was um, the one shot on the Astoria Street. Uh, animal Crackers. Yeah, or or co- well, Coconuts first. Co- coconuts. Yeah. It was Coconuts. Coconuts. Which certainly isn't their best movie, but he said it hit people, and they were vulnerable to it in a way he had never seen an audience. They just, people literally, I'll clean that up. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going to save that. He, he said they, they literally um, <clears throat> fell off their chairs. Wow. And I said, yo, come on. He said, no, it would be like this. They would be laughing, and they would just go like this, laughing and laughing, and get so far down they fell off. And he said it took you several days to get over it because you were not inoculated there for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Groucho was proud of... Um, which movie is it where they run downstairs on the ship and hide in the barrels. Uh, monkey business. And monkey business. And we were watching that. And I said, I love that part with the, you're getting the barrels and the guys are looking around and you say, never mind the barrels and go down. And he said, I thought of that. I thought of that. As if you say, you're kidding. You don't have enough talent to have said that. When did you come? In, oh, close God. up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they, keep, they keep pulling my mic away. <laughs> Tonight, Autolite and its thief dealers present Miss Agnes Moorhead in Sorry, Wrong Number. <laughs> I, I gave myself goose pimples. Wasn't, I, wasn't Agnes Moorhead one of the actors who came to Nebraska? Yes, she was. Uh, I, you are, your knowledge is just... Oh, I do my homework, Dick. <laughs> yeah, I'm, funny to think, in Lincoln, Nebraska, I, who was a celebrity worshiper and wanted to get into show business, in Lincoln, I met Charles Lawton and Cedric Hardwick and Agnes Moorhead and Charles Boyer and Spike Jones and Henry Fonda. 
and Johnny and, Car- and Johnny Carson and Johnny a young Johnny Carson. Bob Hope came to town, and my friend Lyle Burke and I said, "This this is a trick, you know." They say September fourteenth, but when you get there, it's a film, and people had had that experience. And I couldn't see it's a film in the ad, but it didn't say it wasn't. And he came, and it was a, we went to it, and there was a magician, and then there was a dove, uh, trained dove act, and then there was an acrobatic dancer, and somebody else, and a dog that juggled her. And the curtains closed. And I said, God damn. I said, this is a, how can they get away with that? I was thinking we were going to see Bob Hope in the flesh. Nothing between us but air, and now shit. And then some music played, and people started going back in, and we didn't know that intermission wasn't the end of the show. Oh. And we went back in, and the voice of the blacks went down, and the voice went, Now the star of our show, Bob Hope. Ba, da, 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 da. <laughs> Thanks for the memory. And I remember, I went, God, there he is, as he came on stage. I get, I can still get. You're getting, still getting goosebumps. Yeah. You know, he, he what, brushed Marilyn Maxwell's ass once on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and she, <laughs> she may have been tired of it. I don't know what, but. She said, she just said, Bob, you're not supposed to do that. And he said, read your contract. <laughs> but um, afterwards, I ran around to the stage door. About 10 steps, Hope came tripping down the 10 steps to get into the Cadillac with Marilyn and somebody else. I... And I said, fine show, Bob. I was ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Eighth grade, maybe. And he said, thanks, son. And it just went through me. And I told all my friends the next day how I chatted with Bob Hope the night before. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you call one of your looking through the looking glass moments. Yeah, and yeah. it goes on because now how many years later, coming back from a commercial, you can see me looking, standing up looking into my own wings to see if Bob Hope is actually there because he wasn't going to be at the beginning. And Wonderful. there he was. Wonderful. He came out and said, hey, i like to see you working. And I said, do you remember when we first met? He said, no. I said, you came to Lincoln, and you were coming down some stairs, and I said, fine show, Bob. And you said, thanks, son. And he said, was that you? (laughs) (laughs) 17 years later. The best part of that is he came... He had been in Lincoln before, and I never believed it, but he liked to play golf... On their Hillcrest Country Club, Lincoln had a good golf course. So he'd come to town and round up five Republicans and um, play golf. And a kid I hated saw him on the golf links and said, you know, he's pretty funny. I said, oh, yeah, I know. You saw him, right? Yeah. In this town, yeah. And he had on a flowing Hawaiian shirt. And... uh a snotty little kid, Ralph Lingus, said, Hey, Bob, your slip is showing. Hope said, So is your father's. 
<laughs> and I didn't get it for about a year. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know why this. I, I was thinking of this when you were talking about the Marx Brothers and their reaction. Mm-hmm. That I read like, um, well, Roger Ebert said his Roger. father would take him to Marx Brothers movies because he loved them. Good parent. And and he said when when there was a big laugh, his father would look at him and kind of wink like, you see what they got away with there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that. I wonder what are the most got away with lines? That, oh, there are at least two people in public. I'm alleged to be a friend of one, so this time I won't mention who say and say again three weeks later on their show and again oh yeah that great groucho line about who are you gonna believe me or your lion eyes they messed the line up it's like it's an art link letter moment <laughs> oh, I, didn't fin- <laughs> I didn't i didn't finish my link letter <laughs> go ahead we're, we're gonna wrap it up but go ahead okay Okay. <laughs> We're depressed and down in the mouth and writing for Art Linkletter, all synonyms. And uh, it, just, it was just hopeless. And David Lloyd, the great David Lloyd, <laughs> handed in, um, tonight's show uh, is dedicated in a way to great comedy teams. You know, comedy teams like Burns and Allen, Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, Jackie Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Art managed to inject morphine into it somehow with his inimitable delivery. Um, And he didn't get a laugh. It was, uh, I can't even, no one could imitate how badly he did it. Mm -hmm. And so it came out, Abbott Costello, and Jackie Leonard, who's so fat that he's a one-man comedy team all by himself. (laughs) Explaining the joke. Fantastic. (laughs) All by himself just sent us through the wall. That's one of my favorite columns of yours. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's about comedy writing. Art Linkletter. Yeah, yeah. For years after, we said, I hope I'm not Art Linklettering this joke, but, uh, you know, just as a convenient phrase for... Spelling it out. Art Linkletter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to plug, too, Dick. Our our mutual friend Robert Bader uh, mm. helped you basically uh, uh, compile these shows and organize them, and they've been recently donated to the Library of Congress. Yeah. Bader, Every episode? Bader the Magnificent. We had him here. Oh, yeah, I know. And you know what happened? After his appearance here, yeah. his book, Sales took a terrific upswing. That's why I'm going to plug yours again. Yeah. Yeah. And can you believe that book? Oh, God. That's scary. He tracked where he basically tracked down every single live date right. they ever played. Yeah. He specialized in their vaudeville years because yes. nobody has. Yes. It's so an incredible piece of work and research. He went to Red Oak, Iowa to find the. Every playbill, everything. Yeah, everything. The, I think uh, he told me what he was venturing into into Nebraska, as he called me, and um, he didn't know if there'd ever been a Jew in Nebraska. <laughs> he was <laughs> he knew. 
But uh, when the crash came, you know, Groucho was killed by it. Yeah. He was just wiped sure. out. They sure. all were, I guess. And uh, he seemed so depressed, and they kept hoping he'd pull out of it. Maybe he wouldn't. There were suicides, of course. Sure. Not in their family, luckily. But she's... Well, we Groucho, should get these... Groucho said in the park the pigeons are feeding the people. Um, not even necessarily meaning it as a joke. Yeah, I know he took <laughs> it very they, hard. They said Groucho never quite got over yeah, the depression. Did something to him... Is there a piece in the Marx Brothers in a nutshell where he always carried an orange around in his pocket because oh, he yeah. was he was afraid of an, if there was another crash if he suddenly ran out of money he would have am I getting this right I think that he would so. always have something to eat it, it, it sounds authentic to did me. I make this I, up no, or dream this well if you did you should make up some more well, I want to plug Robert's book since we're talking yeah. about it Four of the Three Musketeers Four of the Three Musketeers a, a wild ride and a, just an exhaustively researched book I called that book uh, and there's Robert Bader in the audience he's read this wonderful book Five of the f- Four uh, Four of them, um, <laughs> I saw him gnashing his teeth. <laughs> I finally got it right. And we'll plug Steve Stolier's wonderful book about Groucho, too. Ra- oh, yeah. ra- raised Eyebrows. Raised uh, Eyebrows. You, for, our, for our Marx Brothers listeners who want to read great stuff about Groucho. And, well, and, well, that has as much about Aaron as And a lot about Aaron. Yes, Aaron, indeed. Aaron wound up a homeless woman. I heard at one point asking after her years ago, where is she now? Has she gone back to Canada? They said, no, she's, she sort of goes into stores and gets day-old rolls and things to eat. A, a bag woman almost. Yeah, it's a sad, and, and very sad ending. Somehow she got a hold of a gun and that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah, boy. Sad well, person. She's in a Woody Allen movie, though, so she's immortalized. Oh, she everything in, you want yeah, to know about sex. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. I got along with Aaron and um, felt guilty about it some of the time. But she would say, I don't know how I can go on. You know. Well, we... And then, go ahead. And then she'd do something good for him and <laughs> feel better. <laughs> yeah, like you said, the good and the bad. Yeah. We have to thank you personally, Dick. Uh, and Gilbert knows why. How are you going to do that? Because this uh, this show, <laughs> this show was on life support after one episode. Have we started? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> we originally interviewed Erwin Corey. He was yeah. our first guest. Uh, he was a he was one hundred and thirty. God bless him. But the yeah. material what we recorded wound up being unusable. Uh, Gilbert, Dara, and I walked to a pizzeria. Yeah, or as I call it, a pizza, pizza store. store. You want and, to take it over and, from here? Yeah. And and I uh, I said as I was uh, before I took a bite out of the slice I said, all right, well you know we we tried it the podcast we gave it a shot and it was That's, it was basically over before it began and we needed something and I said I looked at Dara and I said, you know what will solve this problem? Called it Cavett. and you did the first show yeah and we had a show. I I I I replaced Erwin Ir- Corey. Well, <laughs> in a matter I, you, of speaking, you, you were older than him. <laughs> I was, but, yeah. you, were the, you were the maiden voyage. Yeah. You know he was a communist. <laughs> he he yes. was. It it was like Erwin Corey when he was at his peak. He was like crazy and mixed up. Yeah. But it was crazy and mixed up funny. 
And now it was just crazy and mixed but he up. Off the funny. Yeah. Well, bless his heart, he did it for us, but he was not in he was not in in fine condition. I used to see him as a kid on This Is Showbiz, Honey Man, Sullivan, and everything. Yeah, Irwin Corey. So that was the so the Dick Cavett episode was the first official episode of this show, and it made us realize that we had a show. You mean I don't have to pay for this bottle? That's of water? it. No, <laughs> that's comp, buddy. <laughs> That's comp. So I'm going to tell people, too, to get your book, which is Brief Encounters, uh, Wonderful Stories. You even tell the uh, Walter Matthau, Tony Curtis story, which we won't make you tell. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a corker. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. But we will make you tell the Benny Elevator story as we go out. Tonight? Yeah. You okay with that? Sure. Or if you'd rather tell the... Uh, <laughs> Your choice. The what? The math, the math out Tony Curtis story or the Benny story? Benny story. The Melanie Griffith one you could tell <laughs> too if you want. I, I'm leaving right now. I don't know where you got this, Gilbert. <laughs> I was in hog heaven getting a job with Jack Parr because I had ever missed a Parr show, I don't think. And... There I was in the par office, and here were the familiar people. The old writers would go home, and I stayed for taping. So I was in Sid Caesar's dressing room, and oh. Jack Benny's, and Bob Hope's. Bless and, your heart. Uh, Carmilla Quinn, and, you know, just about everybody. On this night, funnily enough, I don't remember if it was with Jack and, or, uh, or Johnny, but it doesn't matter. The Tonight Show finished. People were going out looking for exits who came through the doors they weren't supposed to. And that some of those people who did that saw an elevator door that was being held open by a page, and they got in, and they, that was supposed to be the star elevator. And they were supposed to get into the six others. Or but they got in there, and Jack, smartly dressed in, in his belted Burberry, said to me, are you going home? And I said, yeah. Uh, and he got in that elevator, so I got in it with him. Um, I think it was seven comments were made to him. To Jack Benny. To Jack Benny by the Bahoy uh, Palloy in the elevator. Are you still cheap, Mr. Benny? He'd smile. It's such a lovely, nicest man in show business ever. You know, sort of the opposite of, of Danny Kaye. So, um, I didn't mean to, uh, that's not a real name. I just made that up. And, uh, somebody else said, um, well, do you still drive the Maxwell? And, and you could see him kind of, <laughs> God, please let this elevator get to the bottom. Uh, you got this guy living in a, uh, box or something under your house is guarding your money or, uh, you don't pay Rochester. They got them all in. You can only tell this to an audience of a certain age. We get to the bottom. They rush out to tell their friends. And we step out and I say, Mr. Benny, um, do you get a little tired of these after all these years? Same old ones. And this lovely man put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, you know, kid... Sometimes you you just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs>
I laughed all the way home. I never get tired of hearing it. That voice that came out of our radio. Oh, man. Dick, will you come back sometime again and and, uh, and play with us some more? Yeah, how about 10 minutes from now? Fine. There's so much, of course. Remind me to tell you That we didn't then, get to. Yeah. Not only the greatest coincidence, and they're kind of spooky in, <gasps> in my life, but just about anybody's. Okay. Have me back for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's plenty to ask you about, but we'll plug the shows. People can go to, if you're lucky enough to be uh, visiting the Library of Congress, they can see all of them. But yeah, the, that's right. That but was... But I guess the, that's an honor, isn't it? Yes, it is. But in the meantime, they can go to YouTube, and I'm going to tell them to watch the Orson Welles interview, uh, the George Harrison interview, uh, the wonderful... You know what's great is the one you did with Frank Capra, Robert Altman, Bogdanovich, and Mel Brooks. Movie makers. A real treat. A real treat. That's where uh, Capra talked about what a bomb his great movie of Shangri-La. Oh, Shangri-La. Yeah, you loved Lost Horizon. Lost Horizon. I asked him about it. Yeah. Yeah. That was And uh, the guy who was come out of the toilet. Yeah. Capra had gone in to pee or whatever. This guy comes out and says, Yeah, that Charlie Chan thing they're showing in there. <laughs> 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 Just what he needed. Find those episodes, because they're they're terrific. And come yeah. back and we'll ask you a lot more. Nothing easier. Okay, my well, friend. Frank and I have often referred to you as the self-interviewing guest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't stay home next time. (laughs) Joy Behar said to me today, you have Cavett tonight? I said, yeah. She said, he'll be easy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wonder why that is. I I am easy, I guess. (laughs) You're the automatic interview. don't feel confident that I'm going to be on my way to the thing. You still have those anxiety dreams? About about showing up and you don't have the cards, you don't know your lines. You... God, I had a killer about five days ago. You'll have them, huh? I was out somewhere in the country and we were doing a musical of Cyrano, which we had done at Yale. And I got there and I got into the wings and I realized, Jesus, I haven't looked at this script in 25 <laughs> Still having 40 them. years. I don't know one of my lines, and it's my scenes coming up. Olivier, I asked him if he got that dream. The classic actor's dream. Yeah. We try to grab a script and maybe learn a couple lines, and oh, oh, and you're sweating. And he said, Oh, dear boy, I, I come make my entrance and I get to the door. And I realize I don't know where I am, in what play. And then I open the door, and I think perhaps it'll come to me, and then uh, there are two more doors. And I take one, and it's not it, and I take another one, and it's not it, and I can hear the actors out there on stage doing the scene and ad-libbing, and I can't get to them, and Joan says I wake up screaming. Wow. Wow. Well, you're a good company there. How could he not be sure? Of <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> this this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. <laughs> now, Gilbert Gottfried is a double literate name, like Francis Farmer or B. Benedict. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not going to laugh. <laughs> or Charlie Chase. Don't laugh. Don't ask. I'm here with his, his, his co-host is Frank Sancho Padre, which is like a Spanish word for father. Because, you know, in some families, they have both the father and the mother. And the father is the male member of the family. And the mother, who actually gives birth, she gives birth. Your <laughs> dick is melting. To, to, the, to the, the child, if they have, if they are lucky enough. <laughs> Dick is melting into a. No, I'm not letting a, a, a puddle Dick. of manners. <laughs> We've had Dick. Have, Dick is uh, is the way you talk to someone named Richard. If someone's name is Richard, <laughs> you call them Dick. You're gonna make or, me choke. Or if you don't like that person, you call you refer to them as a Dick. <laughs> so, but. And if you like the person, <laughs> then it's a short for Richard. If you don't like them, you go, you know, like he was a real dick. <laughs> Thank you, Dick. <laughs> this is the eighth wonder. Thank you. <laughs> it's the eighth wonder of the world. His head is down on the table. <laughs> Now that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> She once swept an admiral clear off his feet. The ships on her hips made his heart skip a beat. And now the old boy's in command of the fleet. For he went and married Lydia. I said Lydia. Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to John Fodiatis, John Murray, and Paul Rayburn.